Imagine a scenario where you're in the mood for a true crime podcast. You take out your headphones and press play on the first recommendation. You're excited to delve into an eerie and chilling case. Is someone missing? Is there a conspiracy about to be uncovered? As you listen to the beginning, you're met with a startling surprise. The podcast sucks. And now imagine that you're listening to a different podcast, one that exceeds your expectations. The storytelling is well done. The details are thoroughly researched. The music is chilling and unsettling. And then there's the best part. You get to listen to my deep and creepy voice. When you listen to Still Unsolved, you get to join us as we bring the true crime genre back to its roots. Every week, we highlight different cases of missing persons, wanted felons, unsolved murders, and the truly bizarre occurrences of life. Subscribe to Still Unsolved wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and join us. With your help, some of these cases may no longer be an unsolved mystery. You're listening to True Crime Feed. True Crime Feed. I'm your host, Angela Ferrari, reviewing the best true crime podcast from the past decade with a teensy bit of humor, plus my top three true crime picks of the week. Up first on the docket, here's a show from the archives I think you will really enjoy. Let's discuss the case for Boom Bust, the rise and fall of HQ Trivia from The Ringer. Here's a synopsis. The live trivia app HQ Trivia was once the obsession of the internet, garnering millions of players and international spotlight. In less than two years, HQ Trivia went from capturing the attention of millions to being a cautionary tale. So what happened? Before we find out, go to thetruecrimefeed.com and sign up for my newsletter where I curate visual aids to accompany the show. Key players this week are Colin Kroll, Russ Yusupov, Scott Rogowski, and host Alyssa Bereznak. I'm also going to issue a spoiler warning. I will be revealing the shocking ending to this story. So if you want to remain completely spoiler-free... Pause this episode and tune in to Boom Bust, the rise of HQ trivia first, then come back here to commiserate with me. Otherwise, I'm not stopping this wild ride to let you off. You've been warned. I'm also going to issue a major nerd alert for this story. It's a tech startup meets trivia hosted by a journalist who was previously engulfed in a controversy involving Magic the Gathering fandom. More on that later. This story is basically a dweeby turducken. A a nerdorkin, if you will. But you know me, I'm gonna keep it fun and fresh and funky for y'all. Because I'm not like a regular podcast host, I'm a cool podcast host. Hello? Are you still there? Speaking of cool podcast hosts, I love Alyssa Bereznik's writing and reporting on this story. Even though I didn't know anything about HQ Trivia before the series... I was able to live vicariously through Alyssa's experience as an early adopter and devoted fan. I wanted to check out some of her other work, and I stumbled over a super weird internet controversy from 2011. 
Back then, she was an intern at Gizmodo, and Alyssa wrote a blog post about meeting a guy named John Finkel she thought was, quote, normal on OkCupid. Then she found out after going on a couple dates with him that he was really into Magic the Gathering, that fantasy card game. When I say into, I mean spends most of his free time playing. Nearly all of his social circle he met through Magic the Gathering. He was a world champion and also had a commemorative NTG card made in his honor. She thought that he should have disclosed his Magic the Gathering super fandom in his OKCukes profile, or at least told her right away on the first date. The tone of her post was lighthearted but snarky, kind of a hide your daughters vibe. But NTG fans and the internet geeks took umbrage. And when I say umbrage, I mean there were rebuttal pieces written on Wired, Washington Post, CBS News, et al. in response to her dork shaming. I can kind of see both sides. I think it was wrong for Alyssa to publicly embarrass John Finkel, but I also get how his extreme Magic the Gathering fandom could have been a turnoff. Because after all, real men play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh my gosh, we're only like four minutes in and we have already hit Code Red, boss level nerd alert. So anyway, despite her mean girl MTG disc blog posts aside, Alyssa killed it with her reporting on the HQ trivia phenomenon. So let's start at the beginning. Colin Kroll and Russ Yusupov met while they're working tech jobs at Jet Setter. They team up and launch an app called Vine. Do y'all remember Vine? It was that platform where you could share quick six second videos on a loop. Six second video on loop. Six second video on loop. Six second video on loop. And Vine is a shining example of how preposterous the tech industry can be. They were acquired by Twitter in 2012 pre-launch for $30 million. And it didn't actually go live until 2013. Then Vine exploded for a short period of time. I gotta be honest, maybe I'm too old for this. When I looked up a list of the most popular Vine videos, look at those chickens, fresh avocado gasoline sign, and WTF is up Kyle. I didn't recognize a single one. Do any of these make sense to you? Well, apparently they were quite popular with the youths. But Vine developer and co-founder Colin Kroll isn't becoming very popular at Twitter. He gets accused of inappropriate behavior, it's a little vague exactly what happened, but the official statement from Twitter states verbal, sexual harassment, and quote, bad management. At first, I'm picturing Michael Scott from The Office, but that's not actually Colin. After learning more about him, I think he's more the shy, socially awkward tech nerd type. He loathes attention, loves playing with computers. His passions are working all the time, creating new technology. So Colin is out from Vine in 2014, but shortly after that, Twitter kills the app anyway. So Colin teams up with previous co-founder Russ Yusupov to start a new venture free from his big tech overlords and their lame workplace decorum. Instead, they're going to smoke tons of weed, stay up all night, and create the future of TV. Programs that are interactive, change dynamically based on your input. They were inspired by this tech futurist author, Douglas Adams, and his documentary, Hyperland. He's that same guy who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Some real glorious stoner material. Dude, dude, what if maybe the ultimate answer to the ultimate question really is 42? Think about it. It's like the sacred symmetry simulation. It's simple, but not simplistic. And also, do you think Shake Shack is still open? 
So after many nights fueled by bong hits and shack burgers, they finally launched their new tech media company, Intermedia Labs. And after even more tinkering, they designed their first hit interactive mobile trivia game called HQ Trivia. A daily live trivia TV show where you get to watch and play along on your device and win cash from the prize pot. <clears throat> In theory. More on that later. HQ Trivia began with a small audience and then became a global phenomenon, growing exponentially after the holiday season of 2017. They even started running games twice a day to keep up with demand. A big part of their success came from host Scott Rogowski. He has that perfect, adorable look and fun energy to host a live trivia game. Plus, his wordplay puns were top-notch. Nicknames for himself included Quiz Khalifa, Host Malone, Quizzy McGuire, Quiz Marquee, Host Face Killer, Edward Quizzerhands, Agatha Quistie, The Quizard of Oz, Carson Twice Daily, and The Original Quiz Daddy. But in my opinion, he's more of a quiz zaddy. He called his admirers HQDs of which there were many, and Scott Rogowski especially had a knack for improvising on the fly during technical difficulties, of which there were also many. More on that later. The fans loved Scott, and his audience grew every week. Some HQ trivia games hit 1 million players. Soon after, they hit 2 million. Co-founder Russ Yusupov was so encouraged by this trajectory that he decided to grace the Intermedia Labs workplace with a ginormous bottle of super expensive champagne with a sign that said pop at 3 million. Ugh, this is such a Russ move. More on Russ now. While Colin Kroll was the tech guy, co-founder Russ Yusupov was definitely the style image creative guy. An immigrant from Russia, former employees say that he was complicated and not always the most pleasant to work with. He idolized Kanye West and would often spout off quotes from Steve Jobs, passing them off as his own without attribution. He would park his Tesla illegally in front of the office and rack up tickets. He marveled attention of any kind. One employee said, Russ loves Russ. But there was an issue. This wannabe Bala Shakala 20 inch blades on his Tesla was starting to butt heads with beloved host Scott Rogowski. This all became public during what we will call the Sweet Green Incident. Oh my gosh, this is so dumb, you guys. So Scott gets a call from tech reporter Taylor Lorenz, and she wants to write a puff piece for the Daily Beast about this beloved trivia host. The interview is just basic boilerplate questions. Taylor asks Scott what he eats for lunch, and he mentions he loves the salad at that fast casual chain restaurant, Sweet Green. Cool. They wrap up. It's a perfectly normal, even kind of boring piece. Taylor calls HQ headquarters for some follow-up background and gets a hold of Russ Yusupov. He is outraged that Scott did an interview. Apparently, it's pretty common that tech companies are very secretive and don't want employees talking to the media, but this seemed pretty extra. Taylor tried to reason with him. Scott is a public figure after all, and he wasn't divulging trade secrets. The biggest thing he disclosed was that he likes grabbing the kale Caesar for lunch at Sweetgreens. This sent Russ through the roof. 
We do not have a partnership brand deal with Sweetgreen. Do not mention Sweetgreen. In fact, you better scratch this whole article. If you run this story, we're going to fire Scott. So Taylor did scrap the story and instead ran a new piece about an egomaniac co-founder of a successful tech company threatening to fire their beloved host, Scott Rogowski, over a basic B interview. This was all news to Scott. In addition to this bad press, HQ Trivia was contending with some other snafus. Yes, the Sweet Green incident was a bad look for the company, but it actually made the game more popular really quickly. One former employee said it went, quote, too viral. So you have hundreds of thousands and soon a couple million people using your app all at the same time. Plus, you're dealing with bots and hackers trying to game the game. And also, also, it's brand new technology being created on the fly to keep up with the demand. So it was becoming a common occurrence to be playing along and have the game glitch. Like I mentioned before, Scott had to find creative ways to keep people entertained while the technology was frozen. In most cases, they were able to resuscitate or restart the game There were a few times they couldn't, but surprisingly, that didn't seem to affect viewership. It actually seemed to add to the excitement and the endearing charm of the game. What wasn't so endearing was the method of HQ trivia payouts. First, there was a set minimum balance you had to acquire before they would pay you. An example is you would have to accumulate at least $20 in prize winnings within the span of 90 days or HQ wouldn't pay up. And that required minimum number kept changing. Also, the push button on the app for the payout would, quote, glitch too. How convenient. Some of the big prize winners accused HQ of delaying payouts or not paying altogether, leading Intermedia Labs to acquire an F rating from the Better Business Bureau. And speaking of waiting for big payouts, the devoted staff at Intermedia Labs worked around the clock for very little pay in hopes that the company would make it big, possibly go public or be acquired. Many employees believed they could share in those future big profits if they just stuck it out. But despite their growing success with HQ Trivia, Intermedia Labs wasn't being courted by the usual big tech investors. There are a few possible reasons for that. One is that Colin Krull's previous misconduct allegations and Russ Yusupov coming off as a hothead during the Sweet Green incident made venture capitalists wary of funding a company with them at the helm. To make this situation more sticky, there was a fundamental divide over the identity of the company and the direction it should go in. Colin thought the appeal of Intermedia Labs was its innovative technology, but their tech was being ripped off and there was fear it could be replicated by Facebook and other big tech giants. Other employees, and especially Scott Rogowski, thought they should promote themselves as a media company and invest in developing more creative programs centered around dynamic personalities like Scott. Overall, the company really lacked a business model and a clear path for growth. But despite these issues, they still managed to secure some funding. This oh-so-common play in tech culture is so dumb to me. The amount of money that gets thrown around investing in startups that don't have a plan on how to be profitable is ludicrous. Everyone thinks they have the next unicorn company, but 99% of the time it's just a garbage-eating donkey with a road cone on its head. 
That's actually kind of adorable. Uh, I, I'll take it back. I want 30% equity in Trash Donkey Inc. So while I'm finalizing this sweet-ass deal, Colin and Russ decide to pour their efforts and capital into the tech side of their business. But that was about the only thing those two could agree on. There was a lot of fighting between Russ and Colin at this time. There's some dirty backdoor boardroom shenanigans. Eventually, Russ Yusupov gets pushed out of the CEO role and Colin Kroll takes over the position. There is a whole episode six of Boom Bus HQ trivia titled H Coop. It's a pretty juicy story in itself and would actually make a fine successor to the show Succession. So now Colin is at the wheel and despite his previous reputation as a bad manager, the employees seem to prefer Colin. Morale is boosted and it looks like Intermedia Labs is ready for big success. The staff has a holiday party on the night of December 18th. Everyone is having a wonderful time, feeling enthusiastic for the first time in a long while. Colin dips out of the party early and meets up with a lady friend. And shortly after midnight, the police are called to Colin's Soho apartment. Colin Kroll was found dead. He died of a drug overdose from fentanyl-laced heroin. The tech world is shocked. Many employees learn of Colin's passing online. Scott Rogowski goes live, and in lieu of running a trivia game, he pays tribute to Colin Kroll. And soon after, Russ Yusupov takes back over as CEO. Between Colin dying and Russ being a phoebe, there's a huge shift in the workplace culture. Intermedia Labs continues to run HQ Trivia the same way, same graphics, and it gets stale. People start losing interest. Quiz Zaddy host Scott Rogowski sees the writing on the wall and exits the company. They do hire some new hosts and try out some more spin-off games like HQ Sports, HQ Tunes, and even a more dirty version of trivia called HQ After Dark. But none of these really reach the same level of popularity as the OG HQ Trivia. That big bottle of champagne set to be popped at 3 million sits on the shelf, a mocking emblem of all of their failures. And that's when the mass firings start. More and more employees are invited to a Friday afternoon meeting where they get the chop. There are whispers amongst the Intermedia Lab staff. They arrange their own secret meetings in random rented conference rooms, trying to strategize their next moves. Then on February 14th, 2020, Russ calls an all-hands meeting and announced HQ is no more. Staff would not be receiving severance, and players who won cash prizes would not get any payouts. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Oh, such a Russ move. People are understandably outraged. They went through so much just to keep the company alive. And for what? All the highs and lows just to be unceremoniously fired. Russ has the brilliant idea to run one last HQ after dark game with a skeleton crew to, I guess, boost morale. Featuring new hosts Matt Richards and Anna Roisman getting wasted on camera and smashing the bottle of expensive champagne. The final payout was about a penny per player split between just over 500 players. Host Matt Richards claims the $5 prize pot for the game came from his own pocket. And that was the end. 
Or was it? Four days later, Russ makes a statement on Twitter. The gist being, I know I said the company was shutting down, but JK, HQ will live on thanks to an undisclosed mystery investor. What? Was this all a ploy for attention? Is Russ some kind of secret marketing genius with an Agatha Christie level game theory master plan all along? I don't want to give this bozo any more credit than he's already giving himself, but essentially he gets to restart the game without paying a bunch of salaries and gets a fresh injection of media attention. On March 29th, HQ Trivia resumed its daily games. They were becoming a little popular again during the early months of the pandemic, but nowhere near the numbers of their 2017 heyday. At the time of this recording, Intermedia Labs hasn't officially announced a shutdown, but they haven't run an HQ trivia game since November 17th, 2022. Then there was a weird message in 2023 posted on the app that read, quote, Dear HQ community, the app has been taken over by me, a security vulnerability finder. We all are tired of HQ's lack of communication. And as such, the app has been taken over. The way I was able to take over the app, they didn't pay their server hosting fee. We will be running unofficial HQ trivia and HQ word games on Monday, 10 p.m. Please set your own reminder. Notifications will not be sent out. End quote. Russ, is that you? I wouldn't put it past him. And speaking of shady, weird behavior, something bizarre starts happening to Boom Bust host Alyssa Bereznik as she is reporting on the story. Former HQ staff members stop returning her calls and refuse to speak with her on the record. It turns out Scott Rogowski told them not to. I'm not entirely clear why. I guess he wanted to create his own docuseries about the rise and fall of HQ trivia, or at least leverage the story for money from The Ringer. He proposed they pay him and former staff for their exclusive accounts. It's a weird epilogue to the series, but I was enthralled by this tension, especially when Scott and Alyssa sit down and hash this out on tape. Overall, this series does an awesome job showcasing how demented tech culture has become. It's infuriating how the same people who have the capacity to be so innovative and forward-thinking can also at the same time be incredibly short-sighted and greedy. Take something beautiful, like a puffed Patagonia vest. These tech bros ruin it by pairing it with a pressed-collared shirt? Stop the madness. It's getting out of control. Half these guys, the only, quote, disrupting they have achieved is calling water bottles, hydro flasks, and watches timepieces. Dumb. And don't even get me started on cryptocurrency. The only crypto I believe in is zoology. Sasquatch is real, you guys. The truth is out there. Okay, okay. I should reel it in. I'll have to table this rant for another show. Maybe a true crime feed after dark. But for now, I want to do something special to honor the creative visionaries, the unnamed employees who poured their hearts into making lightning in a bottle when HQ Trivia was at its zenith point and serve you up a little mini true crime trivia of my own. It's true crime feed trivia time. Ready to play? Question one category is wild defenses. 
1979, when Dan White was on trial for the murder of Harvey Milk, his defense argued he was in a state of diminished capacity after consuming what sugary treat? A. Fruit Loop cereal, B. An entire jello mold, or C. Twinkies. The answer? Dan White's lawyers argued the quote Twinkie defense. They successfully reduced his sentence to voluntary manslaughter instead of murder in the first degree. Ugh, so messed up. But if you guess C, you're right, and you get to move on to question two. Category is Bizarre Heists. In 2009, Edwin Rist broke into Britain's Natural History Museum to steal what prized item? A. A collection of exotic dead birds, B. A hybrid horse zebra hide, or C. A white rhino horn? The answer? Edwin Rist stole 299 exotic dead birds from the Darwin Collection at the Natural History Museum. What he used these birds for and what he purchased with his dark money is the subject of a future podcast episode. But for now, if you guessed A, you are correct, and you get to move on to our final question three. Category is Twisted Revenge. Alan Ralski is infamous for being a fraudster selling bogus penny stocks and being one of the most prolific email spammers throughout the 90s. But the tables turned for Alan when his home address became public. How did angry victims exact their revenge on Alan? A. They called the SWAT team on him. B. They descended on his home and threw slices of spam. Or C. They flooded his house with junk mail. Let's have Alan spam you with the correct answer. He was quoted in the Detroit Free Press saying, They've signed me up for every advertising campaign and mailing list there is. These people are out of their minds. They are harassing me. End quote. Have <laughs> you guessed C? You were right. Bonus prize, you win 300 Angela points. Redeemable for a big shout out on my show that I will fulfill right now. Great job, you. You know who you are. Even though I like all of my listeners, you are my very special, most favoritest one of all. Shh, don't tell the others. Ah, thanks for playing along, everyone, and for going on the HQ Trivia roller coaster ride with me today. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. I especially want to hear from you if you played HQ Trivia in its heyday. You can email me directly at Angela at thetruecrimefeed.com or join the True Crime Feed Facebook discussion group. Keep an open mind and be kind to fellow True Crime Feed friends. Stay tuned till after the break to hear my top three podcast power ranking of the week. Ah, <sighs> hey you. I'm so glad we found each other and get to share our special love for true crime podcasts. I don't ever want you to miss out on a wild story. That would be a crime in itself. So be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast app and share your favorite episode with a friend so the next time you see each other, you can splurge about your latest true crime obsession. Thanks for spreading the word. And now back to the show. And we're back. 
Here are the three shows currently trending that I think are worth a listen. I present to you this week's podcast power ranking. At the number three spot, we have The Girlfriends. Here's a synopsis from the show. It's 1995, and Carol Fisher is a high-flying divorcee looking for love in Las Vegas. It's slim pickings in the medical community she works in. But then Bob comes to town. Bob Bierenbaum is a plastic surgeon who flies planes and speaks several languages. Her mom loves that he's Jewish, but there's something off about him. He's perfect on paper, but he's quick to anger and he never talks about his ex-wife, who it turns out is missing and presumed dead. In this riveting nine-part series, Carol Fisher uncovers the truth of Gail Katz's death, the systems that failed her, and all of the girlfriends that brought her to justice. This show's not perfect, but I really like it. And even though it's about a probable murder, it's a little lighter in tone than some of my other picks for the week. Gal pals seeking justice for their friend, it's uplifting and a nice fit for summer beach listening. So tune in to The Girlfriends. At the number two spot, we have The Retrievals. Dozens of women seeking to become mothers came to a fertility clinic at Yale. The Retrievals is a five-part narrative series about the shocking events that unfolded there. This series is really sad and heavy, and it proves the theory that hurt people hurt people. I find myself being challenged a lot by this show. Starting out episode two, I was furious at the nurse who hurt these patients, but by the end of the episode, I was reeling for her too. And I appreciate the series so far, even though it's heartbreaking. At the number one spot, we have violation. Here's a rundown. Two families and an unthinkable crime at a summer camp that binds them together. Violation explores America's opaque parole system through a 1986 murder case and asks how much time in prison is enough, who gets to decide, and when someone commits a terrible crime, what does redemption look like? Yo, I have consumed a lot of true crime content and yet I had no idea about how parole boards work and how stringent the conditions can be. This series is eye-opening, gives you insight into victims' rights and how unbalanced parole is delegated in this country. I binged the entire series in two days. Episodes three and five were my favorites and I think you will also be absorbed with violation. Now for my miss of the week. We have Undercover of Night. Here's a synopsis from the show page. In 1996, Sue Knight was found dead in her Athens, Texas home. Her will named a loose acquaintance as the executor of her estate. But after an alleged phone call from the CIA and a dire warning from the local sheriff, the executor stopped asking questions. More than 25 years later, Sue's memory haunts the town of Athens and the people who knew her. Who was Sue really? And why did this English expat settle in small town Texas? And could she still be alive? Ugh, this one's a bummer. I recommended it previously because I really love the setup and the first episode with the executor. 
He and his wife were so charming and they had a great ear for storytelling. I thought we were in good hands. But then when it came to the other townspeople, they aren't as compelling and the story is feeling really disorganized and at the same time boring. It's kind of like how the salad bar looks at the end of the day at the pizza rut when they run out of all the dressings except that weird blue razz vinaigrette. Kudos to this show on attempting a new kind of format, but who don't for something that isn't working? Because now you're going down my tried and true trusted podcast queue trapdoor. Find out next week who will be in the number one spot now that Violation has concluded. Let me know what trending shows are in your top three and what show fell through your podcast queue trapdoor. I will meet you here next week to dust off another superb true crime show from the archive for your next feeding fix. That's all for today's true crime feed. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I post links to my top three favorite shows of the week and bring you fabulous visual aids for every episode. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the conversation. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and tell your fellow partners in crime to listen to True Crime Feed. Thanks for riding along and allowing me to be your audio accomplice. Join me next week for another feed.